You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, hello and good morning. If you're joining us for the first time, we're delighted you're with us. If you've only ever joined us online for Manchester Vineyard Online, we can't wait to meet you in person. If this is your church, you're part of it regularly, we see you often again. We just can't wait to be with you in person. We are missing you. It's such a funny time, isn't it? In a way, there's a danger that we keep talking about this time because there's so much noise around it, so much competing for our headspace. Have you found that? Have you found it's all just getting a little bit crowded? I don't think I would have ever foreseen a season or a time in my life where weekly I would get an email of most of the major supermarket chains from the CEO to check in on me, to see how I am and share some thoughts and reflections. All these companies doing the same thing, stay safe and stay connected. In, in many ways, I don't know if you've checked out of some of that, checked out of watching the news. It just feels the same, we're bombarded with so many voices, you know, read this, watch this, think about this. I don't, have you noticed that? The voice that we listen to, the voice first and foremost that we hear needs to be that of Jesus. We are his sheep and we hear his voice. We listen to him and we follow him. We've got to keep fighting for that still, quiet place in his presence. Part of our role, I would say, for Steph and I in this season is to kind of speak into the reality of what's going on, to speak into those moments, to keep us focused on Jesus. I want us to be prepared for this season. We want us to be steadied in this storm. We can't rush through this. Though I'm no experts, I think even the experts are trying to work most of it out, but we only need to look at Singapore, who were doing so well and now hitting a third wave, to look at Germany, who were lifting some of their lockdown restrictions to now have to reinstate them. And for us to look at that and to know and to sense and to realise that the road ahead will have many twists and turns and we need to steady ourselves not by scrambling as quickly as we can to reinstate what was, but to consider how we can live the most God-honouring lives in these times, to be fruitful now and consider what the future might hold, seeking to be as in tune with the Father's voice as we possibly can be. We're his sheep. We want to, to learn to hear and to recognise his voice and to respond. We have to keep being kind to ourselves, to recognise that we're all processing this differently and at different times for what might feel one way doesn't the next day, for what might feel one way one hour doesn't necessarily the next hour. You know, this week I would say has been so much harder for our children. They've had to, um, they've, they've kind of got no time frame for all of this. So they're starting to realise actually this is going on for quite a while and this new reality that they're facing feels like forever. Sophie, our eldest, she wanted to go on cycle rides to her school just to check it was still there and to, to check that one day she might see her friends again, her school friends again. It's kind of a bit heartbreaking to see them not really wanting to go on FaceTime to people because it brings home the reality that they're not going to be able to see them. We've got to keep being kind to ourselves. You know, on my day off this last week, I had two barbecues in one day. We had a, uh, a chimney. I finished the bag of mini eggs that I managed to get pre-lockdown and I loved every single one of them. 
you know i is is quite normal for some of you to feel what you're feeling now as just a sense of strain or change or lethargy or it's just feeling quite wearisome and burdensome you know if you study the responses to crises quite often it's in the fourth fifth sixth week that people start to feel that they lose a little bit of hope and because the adrenaline that's carried them so far starts to drop off some of you will be finding that some of you will be feeling that and yeah just in fact why don't we before we go any further, for some of you, that that is the reality. Why don't we just have a moment? Just a moment with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just want to invite him now. Lord, we invite you. We welcome your presence on your people. Come and steady us and come and still us. I pray, Lord, I pray for those who are just feeling currently the depth of loneliness. You can feel lonely even in a crowd, even when there's others in a home with you. But some of you are feeling lonely. And that is really pinching. Lord, I pray that you would, you would lift that burden, that you would bring a comfort. Some of you, I think, are just facing a heartache and a grief. Lord, come now. Lift that. Presence of God, come and still us. Lord, for those that this is just boiling over and it's becoming just, you know, there's a, almost a snappy and short and frustrated sense and where dreams have been put on hold or shelved and the, the the tiring nature of just this season being so unknown what's next we don't really know where that's just a worry and a burden and a strain lord i pray you would lift it come and alleviate it i pray lord we'd have maximum grace and love for one another that we would acknowledge where we're at lord we ask father that you would send your holy spirit your comfort your counsel your just deposits of kindness and hope and truth that can come from you i pray for a strength and a reassurance lord before we do anything else today just realign us with you just bring us back to you spirit of god amen Oh, bless you. You know, I think many people could handle three weeks of lockdown thinking that we'd bounce back and it kind of hasn't and it isn't. And the realisation of not knowing an end date is quite gruelling. As we go ahead, things will be different. There's no two ways about it. Not all a bad thing, but it will be different. You may have seen it, but I was watching this week just the news of a, um, a cinema chain that this this week they've had a major fallout with one of the film creators because uh, as the cinemas have been closed the people who made the films were like we're going to start releasing them on demand and the uptake for that has been remarkable so that going forward the film creator has said well rather than just showing it exclusively in the cinema we're going to make it accessible for online for on demand as well and the cinema said no chance the deal is like you show it at the cinema or not at all and the, the um, film creators basically said, well, jog on. Like, we're just going to show it on demand then. And on demand. And I, I found it amazing. I found it a really interesting um, moment and thing to consider because, I mean, I've slightly paraphrased that, but it is fascinating because I think it's a sign of something bigger. We can't just slot back into what was. Things have changed. 
And we need to be ready to realign and refine who who we are, what we're about, what some of the things that were priorities and important to us were and how that looked. And last week I started a series called The People We Are and the Movement We're Part Of. We have an opportunity when everything around us is shaken to emerge with laser guided precision to understand who we're meant to be and to realize and understand the values base within which we sit and the difference that can and should make to our resolve and our focus going forward. Today, I really want to look at one particular thing and that's being comfortably uncomfortable. We want to learn to be comfortably uncomfortable. Many of us would say at the minute that we feel uncomfortable. I don't really want to focus on the, the pandemic. I want to focus on the voice of the Father and ensure that we're people that listen and respond to that voice. I believe we are people that should be um, comfortable with the uncomfortable and times of crisis can be an accelerator to help us understand and realize what that is. And so if anything, this time hopefully is just going to laser guide what we were already doing and it's going to bring into full focus and reality the heart of who we already already were because who we are and what we are spills over in crisis it reveals what was already there and it causes us to put on display those things in greater measure so i don't know if that makes sense hopefully that makes sense to you but let me give you an example do you remember when we prayed for 10,000 homes we prayed for the 10,000 homes surrounding our sunday venue we we committed to praying for each and every house and seeking to interact with the needs and the challenges that we might face when we found them and to come to understand them better so that in the days ahead we might be ready and prepared to step into them and um, not not just locally did we do that to that area but we said hey 10,000 plus 10 pick 10 other people maybe 10 people on your street 10 people in the workplace let's commit to praying for, for them do you remember doing that that was a number of years ago we did that now it's so important to sow seeds like that for all that was ahead now who knew that this would be the day that was ahead. Because in the last five weeks, we've helped to feed over 133 adults and 141 children. That's 274 mouths. We fed roughly in a five week period in the Ardwick, Longsite, and around some of Gorton and the, the Rush Home border, fully feeding people. We've, we've given people free meals a day for a minimum of three days. This isn't just like a, a luxury top up, this has been lifeline feeding. And 95% of the, the needs that we've met are in the area surrounding the Sunday venue as a church, which has some of the greatest needs and greatest levels of child poverty, not just in the city, but in the country. Sometimes you've really got to think that through. It's like, these are some of the greatest needs in the country. It's devastating. More than 80% of the deliveries that we've, we've been able to give have been um, serving outside of ourselves. They're not for the benefit of the church. We're blessing others. But there's been 300, so far 323 people have been served, including those in the church. Child poverty, let's just be clear about what this is. It includes many things, but ultimately it's a limiting of the life chances of somebody. So that incorporates 
numerous things like uh, healthcare, education, later on it would therefore have an effect on employment, but it's also things like heating, clothing, and, and significantly food. What I'm saying is that people in that area don't have what many people take for granted. You know, we've come across in this time, many people who don't even have cooking facilities, let alone the food to cook in the first place. And whilst these things can affect you significantly when you're older, it's slightly different when you're a child because you don't have a voice at all. When you're older, it might not be empowered, it might not be listened to, but as a child, what an impact. You, you, you can't fight for yourself. You need somebody else to fight for you. And we have to, we have to do something about that because that's exactly the people that Jesus would want us to and ask us to respond to. Now that might feel uncomfortable in itself because it's often easier to look after ourselves and our own needs and desires than prioritize others. But that's, that's not quite fully where I wanna go with this today. But even for us collectively as a church, it would be easier and more comfortable for us to focus on and invest in ourselves and the development and of, of the church. But where I think we have to ready ourselves and where I'd love to go with this today is for us to be a people of faith. And yet in so many ways, faith is uncomfortable. It's so much easier to have fixed parameters, to know what's coming, to live within the safety of maintaining what we know rather than pressing into what could be. You know, Steph and I have been watching The Chosen. I don't know if you've heard of it or watched any of it. If if you haven't, honestly, I couldn't recommend it any more highly. We've been gripped by it. It feels like a bit of a gift to us in this season. It's the first ever multi-screen TV show um, or series, should I say, about the life of Jesus. It's been created outside of the Hollywood system. And the the, the Chosen allows us to see Jesus told through the eyes of those who knew him. And it, I, I've got to say, it took a bit of getting used to, the, particularly the first series, you kind of got to stick with it. But overall, it's brilliant. It will be different for everyone and how you process it, but it's just a portrayal. But there's this bit that I, I deeply loved where Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. And you, you know Matthew, the tax collector, that was one of Jesus' disciples. We read it in Mark 2, it tells it like this. It says, then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he called Levi, sitting at his tax collector's booth, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable uh, sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers, but then the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. You know, Matthew, who was previously called Levi, but he was a Jew. He worked for the Romans as the area's tax collector, collecting taxes from citizens as well as from merchants that were passing through 
the town and tax collectors were expected to take commission on the taxes that they collected. Most of them significantly overcharged. They vastly just were people lining their own pockets and they were despised by the Jews, particularly because of their reputation for cheating and for their support of Rome. And in The Chosen, in this film series, how it pictures the scene really grabbed my heart in such a beautifully powerful way. It, it really did that. Jesus is walking with some of the disciples that are already following him. And Jesus spots Matthew and he calls him to follow him. And Peter, one of the disciples, you know Peter, some of you will be familiar with him, but he's kind of seen as like the unofficial spokesman for, for the other disciples. He's quite an impulsive guy. He came from a background where when Jesus first called him, he cries out to Jesus and he's like, away from me, Lord just away from me, I'm a sinful man. Almost an, an acknowledgement of his past and a realization that he's in the presence of the Messiah. So imagine this, Jesus calls Matthew and Peter's like, hang on, hang on a minute. No, 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 no. He's a, he's a, he's a tax collector. That's like too far. Yeah, I, it was a big thing for me to follow you, but a tax collector? Like, really? And in, in The Chosen, Peter says it like, Jesus, he's a tax collector. He's different. Almost like he, he can't follow you. I don't want him around us. What we had before, this little thing of following you was comfortable. Now you're making it uncomfortable. He's a tax collector. He's different. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get used to different. And I love it. I love the phrase. Obviously, it's just a portrayal of it. It's not fully what is written in the Bible. It's almost a paraphrase. But he says, get used to different. And again, in The Chosen, the way it describes the journey that the disciples go on to meet the woman at the well um, is, is, is brilliant. Do you remember the story of the woman at the well? It's worth reflecting on again if, you, if you're not familiar with it. But as you know, the woman was surprised at Jesus interacting with her because Jesus, uh, sorry, because Jews would have refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And the chosen picks up the journey as the disciples and Jesus are on their way from Judea and to return to Galilee. And they realize he's going to lead them through Samaria. And most Jews did everything they possibly could to avoid traveling through that area. And the reason for that goes back deep into their history. And as they start debating it, they, they start saying things like, Jesus, hang, hang, hang on, do you know what you're doing? You're kind of going the wrong way. Like, we, we need to go around this. And it's that kind of thing. And I love how it picks it up and it portrays the story because Jesus said to them in, this, in, in The Chosen, he said, listen, if we have to do a question and answer session every time I do something that you're not used to, it's going to be a very annoying time together. It's kind of brilliant how it pictures that scene and lives it out. I love it because um, it was beautiful. And then many people as a result of Jesus's interaction with that woman in that area in that region came to faith. But if we have to question, and if we have to have a question and answer session every time Jesus wants to do something with us that we're not used to. It's going to be a very annoying time for him. And uh, man alive, like that phrase and that way of looking at it just really caught me. You know, imagine if Jesus had to say that to me, like, Paul, every time I want to do something, you're just questioning it and you just kind of 
arguing with me. Why are you doing that? It's just going to be annoying for me. This is what I'm trying to do and you're stopping it and limiting it. And just because we can't always see what he might want to do or how he might want to do it doesn't mean we should stop trusting him and stop following him. And uh, he might want to lead us in a way that we wouldn't naturally understand or naturally choose. In fact, we have to keep placing ourselves in places of faith and trust. But sometimes, quite often, that can be uncomfortable because it's hard. But it's the place of breakthrough, and that's the place that the kingdom extends. I become someone different to who I normally am because of Jesus. He changes me, and he changes situations and the normal rules and usual dynamics by which society lives. Jesus makes us what we're not. That's what he does. That's the power of the kingdom. He makes me who I'm not already. We're on a mission. And to be on that mission, we have to be people that keep stepping into places of faith. Our mindset can often cause faith to be hard because we often approach most things with almost like, well, I'm, I'm out. I'm not in this until you convince me otherwise. It's like the skeptical, critical absorption that we take from culture. But faith is, I'm in. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Let me give you an example. We have to keep stepping into faith. When we planted the church, it was a faith moment. When we did our first ever Sunday gathering, it was a faith moment. When we planted um, the first ever small group, it was like, will anyone, will anyone come? You know, when we did our first offering, some of you will remember that in the rampant line, we did an offering for the city. We were just going to give it away to serve and bless the city. It was like, will anyone give to that? But you don't stop taking steps of faith. But what you've got to realize is they make you vulnerable. They're costly. They cause you to feel exposed. But you don't stop. You throw yourself into God knowing that it's either him and he does something or it's just not going to work. But that's the place we want to constantly be. But at times it can be uncomfortable, but we've got to learn to be comfortable with it because that's what faith is. The same thing happened when we said about 422. You know, for those of you that are joining us for the first time, that's a building just down the road from where we normally meet on a Sunday. We want to use it to help tackle child poverty in the area and numerous other things. But we took an, an offering really initially to help the council to take us seriously because we didn't have the money to do it. They loved our heart and what we said about it, but they were like, well, we can't take you seriously. You don't have the money to do it. The church gave in that offering a remarkable £212,000. Now, that was a huge step of faith. Huge step of faith. And do you know what? I would say, actually, we're in a critical phase with that. We'd ask you, could you, could you pray for that at the moment? The councillors and solicitors are all um, engaged in the process at the minute. It's quite in an advanced stage. They're deliberating over the plans and proposals and all sorts. I think in this particular season and time, we have remarkable favour. We've never been more needed in what we're doing. And they see that. I think they acknowledge that. Just as an aside... Could you also pray? We're exploring, we have been this week, temporary venues to allow us to significantly upscale our food collection, our food sorting, our food distribution to the most vulnerable in the city. You can get involved in all of that in the van if you go to mvuk.org forward slash for the city. It just tells a bit about that, but the, the building thing is, a, is again a new thing. But also, would you pray 
for our role with Manchester citizens. We're pressing hard for child poverty to be a leading part of an item on the, the mayoral elections that have now just been postponed. But currently, Andy Burnham, the mayor of Manchester, he is going to put that part of, as part of his manifesto that no, no child should go hungry. Isn't that incredible? that that's now on his agenda, making more provision for funding, for feeding kids, for supporting schools and putting a huge focus on, on children. We're, we're part of that. As much as we want to meet practical need, we also need to change the culture. And one way to do that is through political lobbying. And you guys, as we've come together and been part of Manchester Citizens, we've been able to push that forward as a significant agenda item. But this this virus, particularly in that local area, has significantly raised awareness of us. All of this is faith. It's steps of faith. Then a few weeks ago, some of you will remember this, we took the Acts 2 offering at a time when finances around the world were crashing and people were feeling more sensitive about money than even normal. We took an offering to serve the needs of those in the church and others outside of that. And you gave a staggering £23,000. It was another step of faith. And whilst we're going to need that to support and to serve those in the church and some of um, some other needs, immediately we were able to give over eight and a half thousand pounds to partners around the world, projects that we're supporting around the world that need it more than ever and actually need it more than us. And we were able to prefer them over ourselves. And then even though we're in a season of needing to be very careful with our finances as a church, we've committed to giving the school um, a portion of what we would normally give in rent, over 15% of it, we're still giving them to help them serve and support and to feed some of the kids in the local area. It's all faith. But we have to be comfortable even when at times it feels uncomfortable because faith is stepping into the unknown. It's taking a risk. It's throwing ourselves onto Jesus in complete surrender and dependency. And I would say the one pound challenge that I talked about last week has placed to get us there again. I'd say it's definitely placed me there. I found it again to be a place of vulnerability. Well, what if it doesn't work? What if people think I'm mad? Well, I don't think you needed the one pound challenge to think I'm mad. But firstly, why are we even doing this? You know, well, because more than ever, we have a moment in time where people are open to hearing God's heart. I really believe that. I see that. So many people know what the church would stand against, but often they don't get to hear about what the church is for. And our heart that is aligning with his heart for the marginalised and the poor one of the greatest challenges often of a church plant is visibility. One of the greatest challenges for us in our faith individually and collectively is finding environments to be the light on the stand, the city on the hill that gives light and shows the love of Jesus that shines through in us and through us to others. So imagine if we had a way to say to 100,000 people, hey, here's what we're about. This is what God's heart is really about. We're in a city of three million people. Imagine if we had a way to, to try and share something in a viral way that just spread and allowed people to hear about it. That's what we're trying to do. You know, I've been blown away this week by the 
opportunities, the open doors that it's created. I've had a few conversations with our neighbours that I don't think I'd have had any other way. You know, I know a few of you are joining us online today as a result of somebody asking you to give a pound to help serve the poorest in this city in Manchester. You stumbled across us as a church and now you're realising our desire to love Jesus and love this city. I'm delighted you're here. I hope this isn't just a one-off moment. We're delighted that you found us and that you've been able to join us this morning. I know some of you, some of you have told me that you'll be joining us. So what, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, this might be the first time you've even heard of this thing, if you didn't hear last week. Well, what's this one pound thing all about? Let me just try and explain. We're at a critical point, as I mentioned, with 422. The needs in this city, particularly as a result of the virus, and it's not just gonna be in this season, it's gonna continue and grow, in the days ahead as a result of it, they're escalating. Now, when you gave an unbelievably generous amount as a church, 212,000 pounds towards it, we were blown away. We were deeply humbled by what the Lord did through that. But we also knew that we were gonna to need to raise other funds through grant applications and all sorts, um, which a number of people have been working incredibly hard behind the scenes on. I just wanna say thank you to all those people that have put time and effort and energy into this behind the scenes over the last year or so. But you kind of through common sense, but also prophetic words that were coming at us, there was, there was a sense that the Lord has blessed us greatly, but we're gonna need to partner with others for the remainder. And actually that's no bad thing. In fact, that's quite a healthy thing because it allows us to invite others into the story. If you don't care who gets the credit, things travel a lot further. The Lord will extend his kingdom. This isn't about us. This is about him and his kingdom. And we want to invite others into the story. But we could never have foreseen this virus. We could never have foreseen the time and the day that we now find ourselves. So firstly, the rapid rise of need in the area. But secondly, the opportunity to invite people into the story of God and into our story in this city. I cannot be, I, I couldn't explain to you more passionately how I profound, sorry, I could not explain more passionately to you how profound I believe this moment is that we find ourselves. It is significant. We have a moment to invite people into our story, ultimately into his story of what he's doing in this city. On, on the one hand, yeah, the money would be a significant boost. You know, £100,000 would be phenomenal and just kind of giving us the momentum and push to, to get on with it. But it's, it's also the, the, the moment of invitation. And I think we've got to realise that and seize that. But also, even more importantly than those two things, actually, this is a heart moment. The posture of my heart this week has just been complete dependence on him again. Faith, what if, what if we don't get it? What if I look really silly in front of all of you? Feeling exposed and vulnerable with that. Oh, here we go again, trying to do something. You know, what if it doesn't work? Actually, all of that is really healthy to go through because it takes you back to the place where you start. You know, you remember things like, Jesus and the two loaves and the five fish. And you hold up what you've got and he does the multiplication. He does the miraculous and there's 12 baskets left over. Unforeseen provision. You know, the critical bit is we do all we can and we place the rest in his hands. 
I know he's called us to do something significant in this city. I know he's called us to try and step into child poverty. It's one of the greatest unforeseen needs in the city. But I know unless or until he says otherwise, that this building is what we're supposed to pursue with everything within us. And I know I've got to do everything within me and give it all I've got, but then trust him. So this is just another point of trust and faith. The outcome is almost less important than the process because we have to learn to be uncomfortable and to allow, um, the, allow room and allow space and allow the place for him to move. I don't know if he'll move through this, but I do know he'll move because that's what he does and that's the God that we trust and he doesn't order what he can't pay for. But I have to keep being in the place of absolute surrender and trust. Imagine the little boy who gives his little picnic, his bread and his fish to Jesus. What's, what's he thinking? Imagine the disciples panicking. You know, the in-between bit feels quite uncomfortable. It's only when, you, you know, you've only got what you've got and he's not yet done the thing because you've not seen what he can do. That's the bit that feels uncomfortable. But you can't see the miracle unless you trust for it in the first place. You don't get the harvest unless you're willing to plant the seed in the first place. You do all that you can do as though it depends on you, but you trust and you pray because actually the reality is it depends on him. But when your desperation surpasses your fear of embarrassment, that's when breakthrough comes. I'm desperate to see lives changed and the kingdom of God break in. I, I've got to be honest, I've done all I can this week. Late into the evening, I've contacted people. I know that if a hundred people shared this each with a thousand people and they all gave a pound, we'd do this. This is not actually a big thing. I've contacted everybody I know individually and personally on Facebook and WhatsApp. That's a lot of people. Not that I'm saying I've got loads of friends, but just I've contacted a lot of people, everyone I can. I've contacted every celebrity that I could think of, knowing just a little push from one of them would do us a huge favour and give us a bit of a help on our way. I've, like, I've even contacted Barack Obama and Tom Hanks, because when your desperation surpasses your fear of embarrassment, that's when breakthrough happens. We've even created the little actual one pound challenge to try and turn it viral, to throw a pound into a toilet roll two meters away. I, I want to encourage you to seize a moment of faith. You do everything you can to share it, to share it, to share it, to nominate others, to invite people, invite us, other people to join us. This, this is an amazing opportunity to ask people to be part of our story, to, to be part of God's story in this city. And who knows what just that invitation might do with their lives in the days ahead. A personal invite after personal invite. That's what's going to do this. You know, one snowflake might seem really small and insignificant, but when you stick a load of them together, you can stop traffic. But ultimately, though, I'd say what is crucial is the posture of our hearts. I've, I've loved it because once again, I've, I've had the chance to say, Father, I feel really vulnerable. I feel exposed. I'm jumping off a diving board, not knowing that there's going to be water at the bottom in the pool when I get there. But I trust you. I trust you and I'm doing all I can to step out in faith. 
and I see people not being able to feed themselves and I see people with the reduced life opportunities and the reduced access to, to, to healthcare and education and therefore longer term employment and heating and clothing but, but, but not having food. Children not having food and I, I can't just sit here and watch that. I'd rather look a fool for Christ than just look a fool. We've got to do something about this. I'd rather try something in faith than try nothing at all, even if that might feel a bit uncomfortable in the process, or if I might look a bit silly. I want to become comfortable with what's uncomfortable. Can I just tell you, for those of you that think, ah, oh, yeah, but Paul, you probably step out in faith loads and, you know, you do it all the time. That's probably different to me. Honestly, I've, I've got to tell you, my heart was in my mouth again when we shared it with our neighbours. Some of you guys actually, I think, are joining us online this morning. But you've got to know that when I shared it with you, my heart was in my mouth because I'm not just trying to demonstrate the kingdom. I want to step into opportunities to actually proclaim it. You don't normally make large steps of faith. You take lots of little ones that collectively make up a large step. We all love the God story. We love hearing the story of what God has done, but we have to be it. We have to step into it to see it. This really is the stuff of Hebrews 11. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. That's faith. It's seeing. It's, 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 it's kind of believing before you can see it, sorry. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us an assurance about the things that we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who was invisible. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground, but when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole, whole armies to fight. By faith, not by sight, in this season we're able to trust him, believing in all that he's called us to do and all that he's called us to be. By faith, you go again. In this season, if this season for you feels uncomfortable, 
we can learn to become comfortable with the uncomfortable because by faith you can love your neighbor you can serve your street you can go and you can work on the front line by faith you can find hope and perseverance when you're feeling consumed and overwhelmed by the lockdown or by a financial burden or by the stress or strain of just whatever it might currently be the strains and the loneliness by faith you can trust not in yourself but in God and by faith you can learn to be comfortable when it feels uncomfortable I pray that's a blessing to you this morning well, let me just wait for a moment let's invite the Holy Spirit to spend some time in his presence Father we invite you Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.